Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 143, It's All the Same to Me, with Moshi Gersh. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. I have a special guest in today's episode, and his name is Moshe Gersh, and I just met him. I was just introduced to him through his new book called It's All the Same to Me, um, maybe about a month ago. And someone in our little school, Big Change graduate community, read the book, talked about it on the forum, said, this is what we talk about, but just in slightly different language. Um, so I checked it out, and it's just such such a great book, this idea that it's all the same to me is really pointing toward this equanimity, this shared oneness, shared sameness that is all of us beyond all the moving, changing, chaotic surface appearance of things. And Moshi talks about how touching that place, really being in that place as, as we talk about unchangeable a lot, as I talk about before our psychology before our mind, beyond concepts, beyond language, that, that it fills us up, you know, that, that in that place of equanimity, all is well. And you'll hear us talk about this in the episode, because I think a book that's called It's All the Same to Me is for sure going to have people thinking, well, I don't want it to all be the same. <laughs> like, I like being me and being different and unique and I don't want everything to be the same. I don't want to accept everything as it is. You know, I like to do things in life. And I really appreciate and love how Moshi talks about this, that he says, and I'll, you'll hear it better from him, but essentially he says that when people say that, and of course it's very common, I've thought it myself a million times. He said he had thought it in the beginning. Um, they haven't really touched that place because in that place, it is, it is our default nature. It is who we are. It is full of creativity. It is full of joy and wonder. So it's all the same to me means you can be washing the dishes or, uh, or laying on a beach somewhere on your dream vacation, and it's all amazing. It doesn't mean, you know, oh, everything's dull and boring and it's all the same. <laughs> it means it's all good. It's all the same and that it's all filled with, with what's really true, that joy and creativity that we can find anywhere that has nothing to do with what we're doing or what we're achieving in life or, or any of that. Nothing to do with our personal identities. It's bigger and deeper than all of that. So we talk about that in this, in this episode. Uh, we talk about how he sees uh, feelings because he sees them so similar to what we talk about here on Changeable. And honestly, I haven't found many people out in the world that talk about feelings as simply showing us where our mind is. Outside of the new paradigm, the three principles, I just, we don't see that a whole lot. And he talks about it so clearly. So we, we look at that in this episode. We talk about his past as a rock star and how he walked away from a record deal and all kinds of stuff when he was just 20 years old based on an inner hunch, just kind of a knowing he doesn't feel like he did it, but he was led to do it. And all kinds of great stuff. You're going to love this episode. He's such a sweet guy, super down to earth. Uh, really easy to grasp and understand. He just shares this in such a practical way. So enjoy. And I'll include the link to his book, It's All the Same to Me, which you can find on Amazon in the show notes. 
Hi, Moshi. Thank you so much for coming on Changeable. It's absolutely my pleasure, Amy. And so nice to spend some time with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it too. Um, we're talking it because uh, someone in my community, Shelly, I'll give Shelly a shout out, uh, read your book and came on our forum and said, there's this awesome book that I read it in like a weekend. It's, you, it's so like you just get into it and it's nice and short, but it's amazing. And it's, it's exactly what we talk about here. So whenever I hear that, I'm like, I need to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> so I read your book. Um, it's all the same to me. And we'll share the links for everyone listening. Uh, and I loved it too. I just, I thought it was such a, uh, such a great, succinct kind of way to say just uh, to me and maybe to you too, what's kind of like the deepest, most essential truth there is in a sense. Well, I, I appreciate the, the kind words. I, I hope that I was able to try to capture some of, some of the deepest ideas and put it on the paper. But, um, but yeah, I think this is, this is right there as, if not the one of the kind of like fundamentals in in life and growth and spirituality, kind of like you know trying to tie everything together so we can live a better life. Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about you and how you uh, what your story has been like and how you came to to teach this. I know I read that you were a musician before and and you've done all kinds of other things. So yeah, maybe give us a little background on that. Well, yeah, a drop of uh, my who I am and my journey is I'm from LA, born and raised in uh, Los Angeles, California. Uh, with as a young man, I had the, the dreams of being a rock star, pop singer, whatever. That that you know, hard to escape that when you grow up in in Hollywood. And uh, but I always had a passion for music, and I was very very creative. So my my parents very much so encouraged that side of me. And that's what I did for nearly a decade. I was the singer and songwriter of a rock band, which was a beautiful time in my life. And I guess it was when I was 20, that's when I had my first kind of spiritual awakening. Uh, and I realized that the path that I was on wasn't net. Like there's a certain point in the music industry where you realize that I'm not sure if, if this is really what I'm looking for. There was, you know, Unfortunately, my drummer, who was one of my closest friends, uh, he had become addicted to methamphetamines and I, I'd seen some other things taking place in and around my life that really made me question whether or not just the fact that I love to sing and I love music, this is really what I should be doing with my, myself and my life, which at 20 years old, when you've devoted so much time to something, we were already signed to a record label and we were already involved. We had like albums out, you know, nationally distributed. And, you know, all the, at the time when CDs were still around, all the Tower Records and Best Buys and whatever. And then to stop and question, is this the right, you know, the right path yeah. was, um, it was hard. It was probably the, the hardest decision I'd ever had to make to that point of whether or not this is where I go. And I, and I decided that I needed to go search. And uh, that, that was kind of how I made my first transition. I left the band behind all my best friends, um, you know, managers, PR, producers, the CEO, the record label, the, the everybody, right? Your agent. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the most liberating experiences that I ever had also. Because in life, we can get so tied down to the life that we think we're supposed to have. What so an that, amazing the, decision to make at 20, though. I can't imagine like the maturity that takes and the insight that takes to make it. Uh, like it's a hard decision at any age, you know, but yes, to do that, it's so young. 
Yeah, I have to be honest. I really, you know, a lot of people ask me, how'd you do that? How do you do it? Like, how does one? And for many, many years, my answer to that question was, I didn't do anything. I kind of felt like I was taken. Like I felt like yeah. I was possessed by some bigger vision, a bigger idea, something had pulled me out. Uh, and like I was saved, right? Something like that. Uh, but more recently, when I reflect on that time period, I think what I had was a gift that my parents gave me, which was a deep trust in the universe, a deep trust in God. And that if you do the right thing, things unfold the right way, right? And you can, and you have to listen to that voice, your intuition and that, you know, so if I did anything, it was that I trusted, I trusted enough to, to go in the direction that I knew I was supposed to go. in. So if that's, if that's a help for anybody out there who's listening, you know, if you, if there's something pulling you, you can, you can trust it there's something good waiting for you on the other side. So yeah, I was, I was very blessed. Uh, and then I spent the next 15 years deeply diving into, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm Jewish. My heritage is in the world of Torah. So I came to Jerusalem. I sat and I, I spent about 15 years learning in a yeshiva uh, setting uh, the spiritual concepts and practice of Torah, Kabbalah, and Hasidus. And then that eventually expanded into the, the world of, metaphysics and spirituality and psychology and how everything comes together. I just fell in love with, this is what life is about. Uh, and I think it was the first time I, I got in front of a group of people to share some of the ideas that I had. And I felt the same kind of electricity that I felt when I was on stage performing, you know, in front of, you know, crowds with music. And I realized, Oh, this is, this is the direction that I want to go. And I want to share, share all of this wisdom and share, you know, the, kind of the, tre the treasure that I felt like I found. I found this amazing treasure and like the world should have this treasure. So, I, and then I found this amazing community of people all over the world who are doing the same thing. So just to be a part of it is a gift. That's great. Um, isn't it fascinating? I, I'm, it sounds like you've, I know you've studied all kinds of different things, uh, but have, have you seen like the I don't want to say common denominator as if there's one, but you, you know, you mentioned, you quote people like Wayne Dyer and like other people in your book. Mm -hmm. But then as you say, it's also based in spirituality and the Torah and all of that. Like, do you have a feel? Have you seen like that essence that kind of goes behind what almost everyone throughout the ages has been saying? Yeah, I think that's one of the most beautiful parts about living in our generation. We live in a time when the world is an open book. History is an open book. And we all have access. If you have Amazon, you have access <laughs> to, to anything and everything that's just about ever been written. And so it was, it was probably close to seven years of just studying from the wellsprings of Torah before I started studying other spiritual paths and religions and ideas and seeing where the confluence of ideas really are. And it was just magic to see how much overlap there is and how much the underpinnings are. If you, if you are looking to grow and looking to develop, whether that's in the world of achievement or in the world of experience, right? In the world of, you know, what we're doing or in, in experience of our being, which is kind of, a, that's the essential split in terms of your whole human experience. Uh, the underlying messages are uncannily similar, if not the same. Yeah. Right. Meaning we're, we're all having a human experience in different places in different times. And so therefore it could be something from, you know, this stoic period or in, you know, ancient sub Greek mythology, or it's in a course in miracles or it's in the Baal Shem Tov or, and, and it's all the same idea if we're 
you know, I, I haven't said an idea yet. I'm just talking about the, the structure. Yeah. But when, when you boil everything down, whether it's the ideas we're focusing on, is innate goodness, that there's guidance in the universe, that there's a, a purpose to a person's life, that there's meaning behind the events that we experience. All of these ideas, these big, big concepts, we, we have, everybody has to talk about it. We all have to engage with it. So the thinkers throughout world history and the people who are trying to have spiritual experience throughout world history, we're all touching on the same things and the same points, just coming from different places, using different language. Um, and sure, there's, there's going to be differences because people are coming from different places. And that, you know, once you move out of spirituality and into religion, so religions are different. But the premises, right, and uh, kind of like the evolution of consciousness that we're all moving towards, everybody wants to move in the same direction, right? We're yeah. all trying to get to the same place. Yeah, I, I think um, it just really does something for you. And I see a lot of people who are on this journey to start to see, oh my gosh, like as you see more, you see the same things everywhere. And it just, I don't know, it just has like this snowball effect of like, wow, like there is just something so fundamental here. There's no way that there's not something to it. And it just is so affirming. Because I know for me, like early on, things looked very different. You know, like psychology was saying this and spirituality was saying that. Every religion looks so different, but I was only seeing the differences. And I think when you drill down, you see the similarities. Right. And in fact, I mean, that's really, in a lot of ways, that was the premise of the title of the book. Right? Yeah. It's all the same to me which was trying to get to the idea that beyond physical appearance, we are, we're all coming from the same and moving towards the same. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, so I love the idea. It's all the same to me. It feels like such a, such a simple and beautiful way to just talk about the fact that, and, and you say it in your words, but I guess that there is just one energy, like there is one thing really. And our mind likes to chop it up and label it and categorize it and personalize it and all the stuff a mind does. But really, it, it's all the same in its essence. So that's, that's how I would kind of say it, but I want to hear kind of how, yeah, what for you, like the essence of this book and the idea is. Sure. I mean, when I speak about it, Kabbalistically, I'm coming, there's a, a concept called the Orange Soap, which means the infinite light, right? There's this idea of infinite light that pervades and, and it exists within all of experience, all of phenomena. So that means people, places, events, uh, every, everything in nature, anything that can be perceived and experienced is really filled by and uh, infused with this same light. Right? This, and, so, and that's, of course, it's a metaphor because it's not, it's not a physical light necessarily, right? but it's the idea of this expanded, what we would, t in, you know, today we call it consciousness or you know, throughout history we call it God and um, but it's the, it's the, it's the essence, right? The inner, the most inner point of whether you say inner or higher, these are all words we use to describe, right? So as, as separate from the lower or the outer, right. but you and I both know we're talking about the same thing and we use language to talk about the, the thing that can't be seen, tasted, touched, but it's a knowing, it's an experience. It's a, it's, your feelings, it's not the feeling, but your feeling tells you that it's there, right? You can sense, right? So the beyond uh, the, the physical experience of whatever it is. So we, of course, on the outside, we see like you, exactly how you said, right? We see all these different things and you and I look different and my microphone's different than your microphone and the books on my table are all different. 
but the essence of what they are and the meaning that they truly carry, right? The direction that they're going in, where they come from, where they go, all of this is part of the same Ain Sof infiniteness that exists within reality. Yeah. And so what does that do for people? Like to acknowledge that, you know, what, what do you see that do for people? So for me, when you like make it very simple is, uh, I mean, and it's in the same way that that's where it comes from. It's associated with love, right? This light, light is not just um, the idea that it can be seen, but it's this warmth and connection. You know, when you recognize that there's a sameness there, you know, we're so focused on the differences that there's, that's what leads to every war and every argument. And every time you get to a red light and, you know, there's like a tradition here. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Jerusalem, this, you know, in a, which is a pretty big city. And if it even looks like the light's going to turn green, the car behind you is going to honk because like you should already be going. <laughs> I mean, every time, every time that happens and then you have a, a part of you that wants to kind of respond back or lash out, it's because we're still seeing difference. So when you say, oh, wait, you know, this is, he's, he's my brother, he's my friend, he's my, he's, he's me, right? And there's a deep teaching that, you know, we say, love your neighbor as yourself, but there's a deep teaching that you should love your neighbor as yourself, not because it's a nice thing to do, but because he's yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you should love yourself. I mean, we, we are, we're one. So what, what does it do for people? Man, if we live with that premise, there, there's love in every relationship. You look the other way. There's a, a constant kind of steady stream of forgiveness because you, real, you, you kind of see the surface for what it is. It's just the stuff on the surface. So, okay, these, we do it all the time when someone we love does something out of character and we say, oh, that's not really who they are. They didn't really mean that. If you really knew them, just get to know them. That's not really what they were about because we're allowing ourselves in that moment to see the, the innate goodness and, and essence of and, and innocence of the person that we're kind of defending in that moment. Yeah. Um, but if you see the whole world in that light, so it's just, we're walking around it's like, yeah, okay. It was, oh, it was, it was a blip on the screen. It was I a love blip on that. The screen, but I, mean, I can love you anyway. Yeah. It just, you can feel that it. it just brings such a lightness to things. And I think helps people take, take what we're seeing and all the differences so much less seriously in a way. Yeah, totally. And we do, we take life very seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and what a relief to uh, to like a almost brings like a new appreciation for the differences rather than like you were saying the differences looking meaningful and and something to fight over. Right. Yeah. Exactly that. So I'm I'm guessing you might get a question like this a lot, like when people say uh, it's all the same to me. Like that sounds boring. I mean, I want variety. <laughs> I want difference. Like, isn't it boring? So how do you, uh, how do you speak to that? Sure. Yeah. And I speak about that in the book also. And I think at the beginning of my process, when I was investing myself in this particular part of the picture, I, I think I had that question as well, but it, it's, the question is coming from not experiencing what I'm talking about, right? Because in the experience of it, when you say experiencing all the same, that's like saying every day is filled and every day and every person and every event is filled with infinite meaning, infinite joy, love, peace, connection, wisdom, insight, creativity. Yeah. 
everything. It's all the same and that it's all bad. Yeah. It's not all the same and that it's all boring or numb. It's all the same and that it's, it's always full with something, right? Because the experience and even, and, and even when it's filled with emptiness, it's full of emptiness, right? It's, yeah. it's a, it's a very complete experience. So, uh, it's not that you, you don't do other things or you don't have a uh, different, like, it's like a heartbeat. The, the, the heart is going to beat up and down. There's going to be all the points in between. There's constant movement. You can't stop life from, from the differences. Uh, the sameness is the lens through which you see it is a lens of love. It's a lens of positivity. It's a lens of, it's almost like you know that there's something wonderful that's about to happen. Would you say that's because that's, this sounds like a weird question, but because that's what it is. So it's like when our mind and our judgments kind of fall away a little bit or we take them less seriously, we get to what you're saying because, because that's the essence of it. That's the truth. Exactly. It is. I, I love the way you said that, but that's what, it, that's what it means to be present, right? There's a lot of conversation now. Thank God that people are aware of the importance of being present, trying to be focused and um, very much in, in the now, in the moment. And when you're in the moment, the moment is, is vibrant. The moment's alive. And what, what makes the moment dull and boring is when we're thinking about the moment while it's happening or about right. what's about to happen or what happened right before. When yeah. it's like you said, when you pull away the mind stuff and you pull away the external thoughts that the moment can live as it's meant to. Yeah. I loved how you talked about that in the book that um, when, when it looks like it's going to be like indifference or uh, like anything like that, that's not being in, it's all the same. That's actually being in aversion. That's being in judgment when things look boring or indifferent or something. Or when we're with withdrawing from life or like, oh, I just wouldn't do anything. If it's all the same, what's the point? But, but again, that's something a mind would do. That's us in judgment of it. That's not the nature of it. Right. True authenticity is not needing it to be anything other than it is and being there while it's happening. Right. So, I mean, I used to think, and I'm sure a lot of us used to think, um, and maybe sometimes I still do. I don't know, but I definitely used to think that to be spiritual and to be, you kind of had to be this like quiet guru who sits there and you have all the answers and life makes perfect sense. And <laughs> you couldn't show any color or, you know, right. like if you do that, then well, well, I guess you threw the whole thing away. Um, but that's, that's not true that the whole, all, the entire space is, is a reflection of the, uh, the deepest teachings. Um, and therefore, you don't. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. Um, it's natural that if a person would be in a in a space of hishtavos, like right, which is the sameness, the equanimity that we we discuss, it's natural that if you're in that place, uh, your base is calmer, right? You're yeah. you're not you're not feeling erratic, but not because you have to be, <laughs> not because it, you know, right. then you're just again doing the mind thing. So speaking of hishtavos. Um, can you say a little bit more about that first for people that aren't familiar with that term? Sure. Um, so that that's the language of uh, the Baal Shem Tov and in Kabbalistic teachings that's referencing this kind of state. Hishtavos is really the root word is Shaveh, which means the same or equal, um, which is kind of the root of this book in terms of where I was coming from. Most of the teaching came as, a, uh, as an outgrowth of how... Um, the different thinkers and spiritualists in uh, Hasidus described 
this attribute of being at balance or in harmony with life, right? To be in that place of sameness, which is knowing that the difference between you and the worm that's, you know, crawling on the floor is just in form, but not in essence, right? If you were to go all the way, all the way, all the way in, right? So it's a reflection of the same thing. So that's why uh, I use this language because it's, it's what points to, it's the human experience of what happens when you realize that the inner essence of all things are the same. So do, do people try to turn that into a practice or are there practices around it? Or is it more just a sort of an understanding or something you come to, to see? Yeah. I mean, I think all really at the root of things, all spiritual practices leading in that direction. So whether that's meditation, whether that's prayer, journaling, um, you know, positive thinking, acts of kindness, all, all the different parts that people, I mean, yoga, everything that one is doing is really moving in that direction, which is to try to find that space to see beyond the veil, right? Yeah. Of what's going on. So um, the calm, right? You know, if we try, if you look up equanimity, you're going to see how it, it's associated with calm and with balance. That's the kind of the, the beginning that's almost like a gateway to be calm is what allows you. It's, it's the calming of the mind, right? The body, the emotions that allows you to start to perceive a, a deeper reality. Um, but in terms of practice, uh, uh, it's, it's meditation, it's contemplation, it's visualization, uh, tons of imagery that's associated with it. Um, uh, and allowing yourself, it's kind of like, like how in, in, a, in a course in miracles um, describes it between like the right mind um, and and the kind of the knowing mind, which is you first have to retrain your, the way that you think about things and perceive things, and that becomes a a vehicle to actually get to deeper knowing, right? So that's that's what a lot of the practices, all the practices, about retraining your mind to see the connections and to see the oneness, and to take time and spend time in nature and to spend time in meditation, and through that, so you open up to get to this deeper sense. You, like you basically, it's, you can't make hishtavos happen. It's what happens as a byproduct of shifting the way you see the world. Yeah. Do you find that people um, sometimes can get kind of caught up more in the practice than the than the real point of the practice? Do you know yeah. what I mean by that? Like, like sometimes there's a lot of emphasis, I think, on like, well, what should I do? You know, like, what's the best way to get there? <laughs> and, and then, you know, there are things we can do for sure, like you're saying, that kind of point us in that direction. But, but it's, yeah, it feels like what it's really about is just realizing something, seeing what's already true. And, and anything we did, we could do that when just taking a walk, you can realize what's true. Listening to this podcast, people are going to have realizations of what's true. So is that, does that make any sense? Like the yes. path in kind of isn't so important. Yes. And it took me a moment to really grasp what you were asking, but yes, I, I think that, and I, I'm certainly, I can say I did that a lot. I, I, and again, I probably still do. Uh, but definitely there were points where I felt, okay, what's the right, button that I have to press to get into that place, right? There's, there's right. gotta be, but is it, is it this one? Is it prayer? Is it meditation? Which meditation, right? Is it silencing? Is it quiet? Is it the, do I need to contemplate some sort of capitalistic name for 45 minutes? Which one is it? Right. And, <laughs> um, and like how, like all the beautiful stories of enlightenment goes that it's, it's usually when you're not looking, you're not paying attention and you're just being there. And there's that moment of, 
all the teachings that you've ever learned and all the practices that you've tried and all the different things, it's almost like in the moment when genius happens is when you're not paying attention. It's when you've created space, something else. And, ah, the eureka, the aha, the, the right. moment of enlightenment, that shift takes place. So you need, you need everything, right? You need to be doing all the work because that's what primes you to get there. But I don't know if it's any one thing that gets you there more than others. Yeah. I love how you talked about um, problems being kind of defining problems as like just when things don't go according to our plan, which is so true. And so funny to hear it, just to have it like said flat out, like, hey, when, when you don't like it, that's what you call a problem, basically. I mean, that, I don't know, just something in that just made me laugh out loud and just caught my attention so much. Because I'm like, that's exactly what we do, isn't it? Right. So true. <laughs> it's so true. And so it's like a problem. I mean, would you say like there really are a problem is a thought. Like we, we think it's a problem and that makes it feel like it gives us an experience of having a problem. But outside of our own thought and our own labeling that there are no problems. That's right. Meaning there are situations that may require a change. Right. But the labeling it a problem is making it a drama. Yeah. That's that's what a problem is. Uh, this is a problem is saying this is this is bad. This is bad. As opposed to um this is not finished, this is not whole, this is um not be- becoming of Right. And, and therefore we, need, we can change that. And we can fix that. So it's not to say that the world is perfect because I mean, it is, it's in, in its imperfection. Right. Yeah. So, but we're, we're all together collectively striving to make humanity better, to make the planet better, healthier, safer, more uh, fluid in communication. So it's a problem when you think it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I also loved how you talked about feelings because um, I don't hear many people talk about it this way. So you talked about, I think, feelings uh, showing us, this, this might be my words, but kind of showing us where our thinking is, where our mind is, um, and, and being guidance in that regard. But I think a lot of times people tend to talk about feelings being guidance kind of more about like feedback on on what's out in the world, but it felt like the way you were describing it was a little closer to home, like a little more internal. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, in my personal experience, I was studying it as I was like really doing, you know, any exercise I could find to help me unlock and unleash these um, these insights. What I found was there's a lot of people. I think it could even be the majority, maybe most people, most of the time, it's the mind that's running. It's hard to keep the mind focused and clear. There's so many thoughts and thoughts and thoughts. So you may not even know what's going on, right? right. You, know, you may not know what's the active thought, but the, but the emotions letting you know what you're believing, yeah. meaning you're having many thoughts. The emotions telling you right now, this, the active thought, underneath and behind that you are now taking as true, right? Um, is the, and then you fill in the blank with whatever it is that you're feeling, right? Because that's, it's pointing you in that direction. Um, in the same way, that becomes a, a, a tremendous force of healing when you realize it's not so much about 
what's going on in your life, what he said, he said, she said, or what they did or what happened as much as this is now the thought that I'm having about it and that I'm believing that thought. I'm taking that thought as true, uh, which is, which is mass. It's a massive game changer for a person who wants to grow because now you can start to become sensitive to, oh, I'm feeling this about that. And therefore I must be thinking, you know, this is my underlying thought about this is this is bad or they wronged me or they've offended me, which if you take it all the way to the end, right? It's less about what they did and more about how I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there is no, what they did. I mean, there's an action, but there's no meaning to it. There's no story around it until our mind makes one up. So, mm-hmm. and then we feel like you said, the effect of that story. That's right. Yeah. Right, so I long think, as you believe it. Yeah. I think that's so huge. And I agree. I mean, that's if, because it, it's so complicated and confusing otherwise. You know, I remember years ago learning that your body has all this wisdom and your feelings are, are giving you guidance, which is great. But then it looked like, okay, so if I walk into my job or if I'm in a relationship and I have a, a uncomfortable feeling, I need to quit that job. I need to leave this relationship. And that's not at all really what it's saying because the job and the relationship aren't anything except for what I'm thinking about them. So, so for like you're saying, for us to let that point us back to just the fact that our mind is busy talking, you know, telling stories and we're believing them. It just feels like it simplifies things so much. Sure. And in the same breath, I mean, emotions and feelings have tremendous energy. So they can, they can lead to the unfolding of, if you focus, if you're focusing on the negative, they may actually bring more negativity in your life because now you're, you're focusing on them in, in that way. And if you, paint the picture another way and you see the positive. So it'll actually, you know, as you know, Wayne Dyer says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if anything could be more true, right? Your perspective and then your feelings about them have an impact in your life. Uh, and I've always found that, you know, real intuition, what you were describing of like, you always have to listen to your emotions, but like real intuition behind the emotion, there's a, there's like a sensing or a knowing that's, that doesn't necessarily have a color. It's just, this is the right direction or this is the wrong thing. I need to walk into this bookstore right now or I need to walk out of this relationship. And I may, it may not even be with a heavy emotion. It's just a sense of something's not right here or on the converse, I must go there. Something's really good there. Don't you feel like, I love that. Like It's almost like, like life is just living us all the time in that way, but we just think about it too much <laughs> and then we like overthink it and get, get kind of confused. Yep. <laughs> it's so cool. And, and we see that in kids, you know, like kids don't overthink things that love the way adults do. So they just, they do exactly what you said. Like, I don't need to explain why I want to go from the slide to the swings. I just want to, <laughs> and I'm just doing it. It's like, you know, there's so, I love what you're pointing to there. Like there's so much that is so alive before language. But mm-hmm. but we're so, I think, accustomed to looking to language to justify our actions that we kind of miss it. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I spent the last couple of days really speaking about this and thinking about this, with, um, speaking about it with my wife and, and kind of thinking about it internally, which was, you know, when you, you ever had this experience where you have like that inner kind of pull, the knowing, I'm pretty sure I should do, like, I'm sure I should go this way. Um, and then you have the thought of like, well, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe no. And then you start to think about it. And that's the overthinking you're talking about. So one of two things happen. Either you follow your, your heart, your intuition, your body, whatever you want to call it. Right? You, follow, you follow the knowing and it either works out for you 
in the way that you perceive it. You say, ah, see, I'm happy that I listened to myself. Or maybe it doesn't work out. You say, oh, okay, well, at least I, I, I learned something. I, le- I learned something new. On the converse, if you have that knowing and then you think about it and you decide, okay, I'm not going to do it or I'm, I'm going to do it, and then it, it works out. So great. You think you're smart for a moment and you go forward. And if it doesn't, usually that feeling is, I knew I shouldn't have done it. I, I, I had the knowing. I felt I wasn't supposed to go there. And we, we it's like a, this natural thing of, hey, I, I knew that there, the, you were recognizing. I knew. I felt I was supposed to go in this other direction. Yeah. And, and the major lesson that we learn every time we make that mistake is trust yourself. Yeah. Trust yourself. That's like, that's the major lesson. So uh, I, I always say you, you, it would be better to lean with your gut or lean with your body or lean with the intuition and then check it with your mind and to lean with your mind. And then your kind of your inner knowing is somewhere in the background and like maybe you check in with it or not. I think most of us um, on the planet today lean with thinking. Yeah. We, we, that's that's how we're trained. Yeah. But it but it feels like it once you start leaning with life living you and with your hunches or intuition or whatever, uh, you kind of start to get a lot of uh, feedback about that that's typically pretty good, right? So it feels like that switch can be pretty easy. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um I loved kind of along these lines, I love this King Solomon quote, God made people straight, but they engaged in excessive thinking. And it just made me think of, I'm no biblical scholar by any stretch, but um, like so much of what, what you hear even in, again, we talked about this earlier, but like in any text, like you just can, can feel the essence of, I don't know, like what, what, the conversation we're having, it's in everything. But I love that quote. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's amazing. I, I remember when I when I first came across it, I I almost jumped out of my chair. Yeah. Like, you said it like he like put the whole thing so in clear. one second. <laughs> like that's it. We're made straight. Yeah. <laughs> we're made we're made with, with in you know the the real definition I is would truly be alignment, right? Yashar, the Hebrew word we translated as straight, but something that is Yashar is stands in a line. That's mm-hmm. that's the definition of it. So we're made in alignment, and then we do these what's called cheshbonot uh, rabim, you know, excessive thinking or over over calculations. It would be like maybe the exact definition. We over we calculate everything, we calculate, calculate, think and yeah. think. That that's what pulls us away. Yeah. So um, so has it become easier for you, like to? Uh, kind of let your mind be a tool. Like, does your mind, does it feel like your mind, like you were mentioning a minute ago, like you feel guided, you, you feel guided by something bigger and kind of let your mind be the check on it or let your mind be the tool when a calculation is needed, but it, it isn't like leading the charge in the same way? Yeah, I do. I feel, and I feel blessed to be able to say that. I feel like I, definitely more. I, think, uh, I kind of feel like at this stage, um, you know, we're we're all work in progress. I feel like I'm a work in progress, but from where I was to where I am is, yeah. you know, incomparable. I know, like during the the book release itself, uh, I like I had to go into the the mind is meant to be used to solve problems. Right? That's why we have it that the the it to be able to analyze and to detect and it's a good thing. Meaning, if you actually look at that verse in King Solomon, the problem was excessive thinking. 
right? The problem is he was saying, thinking is good. Thinking is an awesome thing. <laughs> Thank God we can think. We, we couldn't have this conversation without the beautiful tool called the mind. And the problem is when it starts to run you. So I think when we're highly engaged in, in doing, like trying to accomplish, trying to, to create something new in the world, that's when I find myself using my mind the most. And I think that's, that's what it's there for. Yeah. Uh, and then right afterwards, like as the, the soon as I felt like the, the major campaign was done and I could kind of put, put that down and go back to my uh, regular daily routine and practice of, um, you know, I, I study when I study and I think when I think, but I lead with everything else. Yeah. So have you, yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point about like, finding a way to to be like when you are putting a book out or doing a lot of things and some people are doing that a lot in their lives others mm. you know periodically to to still be led because i mean we are still led obviously but like you said our mind really wants to come in because there's more things sticking up that it wants to bang down <laughs> there's like mm-hmm. more problems mm-hmm. that you know just things to solve here right exactly yeah. when there's yeah. more questions sure. there's more questions yeah. there's more fear there's more quote unquote problems right so yeah. i need to be there i need to take care of it yes you were so, saying sorry so do you know so it's, so do you think it's just um does it feel like it's just seeing more about okay that's just what my mind is wanting to do right now but deeply knowing that that's not always the right tool for the job like your mind might be in overdrive when you have a book coming out but you still know deep down that your mind isn't actually needed that much more relative to how much it's telling you it's needed. Yes, it's exactly how you're saying it, relative to what it's telling you. Meaning there are times in your life where you do need to use your mind more and and like it's meant to be there, but um, it's always going to say it needs to be there more than it needs to be there. Because your ego is saying, if I don't take care of this, if if this doesn't get taken care of, if we don't do this right now, this is urgent, this is, this is, most of the time, it's not as urgent as our mind convinces us, you know, us that it is. But one, you know, definitely an exercise that I find has radically shifted my life was when I started, when I changed my um, my sleep patterns, try to get up earlier in the day. You know, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm uh, you know, I'm married with kids, and when you have kids and you have a fam- when you have a family, really. Um, your day is definitely spent differently than when you're single um, and you have in a certain sense, less autonomy over what, where you can be and how you choose to use your time. If you want to, if, if family is an important value to you. So when you, when, when I, I should say started getting up earlier in my days, that's an opportunity to put into practice all the spiritual practice that, that I've learned. Um, and when you do so, the, the whole day unfolds differently. I mean, you're so much more aware of mind stuff and excessive thinking when it happens because, you know, like I say for myself, I started my day in that way. So if you start with meditation, start with prayer, start with setting your intentions for, you know, how you'd like your day to go. Uh, you think about, you know, your dreams, your plans, your visions, uh, you create space for silence, you know, all, all those different things, you know, sometimes I journal. Then as it comes up later in the day, which is going to come up at some point, right? You know, and probably often you're so much more keenly aware that, oh, it's just doing that thing again. Oh, my body's doing that thing again. Right. Um, And you can kind of just like let it go, look past it. 
Yeah. I like that you just talked about plans and intentions and all of that, because I think too, that might be a thing that people can listen to this conversation. And, and we're talking about equanimity and that uh, things aren't as they appear. There's a whole other realm of oneness beyond all of this. Yet you're saying you still do a bunch of stuff. You know, you do these practices and you set intentions and you make plans. So I don't know. I mean, to, it, it makes sense, but I'm just imagining people listening that sort of can still see that as a bit of a dichotomy, you know, but maybe say a bit about how how it's not an either or, how your plans and intentions, you know, can fit in with it's all the same to me. Sure. Uh, and I love this and I get this question all the time. Uh, it, it's, I think it may be the, the, one of the two most asked questions that people speak to me about when we look at the book, which is, wait a second, how do you balance this with dreams and visions and, you know, right. I, I, my legacy and, and what I want to do? Because life can be broken down into being and doing. And so this book, you know, it's all the same to me. It's, is focusing on your being, right? the isness of who you are and, and what the world is and what's happening. But that doesn't take away from the doing, meaning we're here having this life experience and you can float around in apparent chaos, even though it wouldn't be, but it could look like that on the surface and just choose something different every day and kind of bohemian lifestyle, whatever's going to happen is going to happen and I'm just going to go with the flow and that, there's nothing wrong with that if that if, if that's what's calling you. Yeah. Right? If that, you know, if that's where you're at, if that's what you believe, that's what you think. So you're going to do it anyway. You're not going to listen to what I say. <laughs> but, but the doing aspect of life is we're here in this world because we're made in the likeness of that which created us, which is created. It's, just, it's creative force, right? And so yeah. if the infinite light of creation is pervading through all of reality, which is that sameness, so there's that same likeness of a desire to produce and to create, to bring more of that love, to bring more of that light and contribution, to bring more of that service, creativity and insight, all the different things that we appreciate and love that make us feel alive. So that's what we're doing here. The, the, the difference between it's, it's all the same to me saying, and then in the doing, don't think that that's every, that's, that's the whole story. Right. Don't make a story out of that. Right. Um, you have, we're living a life, right? And, and in this world, we do. You can't not do. If you were to sit and not do anything, say, I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to do it's all the same to me. I'm just going to, you know, sit and sit in a room and, until, well, you, you'll you sit in that room for about 72 hours and then you won't be here anymore, right? Yeah. You have to eat, <laughs> you yeah. have to drink, and you have to sleep. And um, If you let nature, you know, kind of take its way. So you'll move, you have to move in a direction. And what's interesting about humans is we have this kind of like innate need to, to move towards purpose. Like we feel drawn to things. We feel drawn to be something great. And I love this quote by um, Rabbi David Aaron. He says, we all feel like, um, like we have to be a masterpiece because we're all a piece of the master. Right. Mm -hmm. He says, we all feel like we have to be a, a someone because we're all some of that one, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, that is the drive, right? So there's nothing wrong with having a drive and, and a vision and a dream. It's a absolutely not antithetical um, to the idea, uh, but it's, it's how you do that. And you can also decide that you want to sit and, in a monastery and meditate, and make that your life and you know, to each their own. It's how you do it. It's who you are while it's being done, 
that's what the idea of this book is. Um, when I met my wife, I think on our second date, she said, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I remember looking at her very sincerely and saying, you know, right now I'm focusing less on what I want to do and who I want to, and then, and who I want to be, than who I want to be. Right. Um, it's the, the, who you are, right. And who I am, that's going to be there when everything you do, Yeah. <laughs> right. You're going to, you're going to bring yeah. you, yourself to all those places. So um, if I'm going to be alive and I'm going to be in this place, so of course I want to, want to set my intentions for the day. I want to, I want to live a good life. I, I want to be, I want to remember when the life is this continual process of remembering, remembering, remembering. And, and then these shifts take place, you know, and the, and the great leaders and visionaries and thinkers and spiritual masters, they, they very often make a shift where the remembering happens quicker or faster, but it's not like they, for, we have this, I think, vision of, the big leaders as they never forget. They're always in that state of perfect consciousness. They're always like, you know, there's no such thing. You know, if you, if you speak to them one-on-one, they'll tell you, of course, you know, they, they, we, we all, we all forget. You step back in. Yeah. I love, I think it's just so important to, to see um, that our nature is creative and it is doing, and it is full of action. And I just love what we're, how you're saying that along with the equanimity is that, man, we're here to play full out and express ourselves. And we get the best of all worlds to also know that that's not the end of the story, that our, it's mm-hmm. not about our achievements and our actions, where we already, we are that inner light, you know, and that's, that's where it's great to look. And it kind of frees us up to then go do whatever the heck we want to do and just play in life. Exactly that. And, and, and life really is, when you become playful with life, Man, that is, it's freeing. It's so freeing. That's great. That's Thank, yeah. yeah, I love this conversation. Thank you so much for talking with me. Um, yeah, I can't wait to share your book with more people and to share this conversation. And yeah, I just uh, think it's, you just have such a great way of, of kind of getting to the root of really important things and in a way that's just simple and sort of obvious once you listen to it a little bit. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Amy. This is absolutely uh, a gift to be here with you. And you can thank Shelly. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> uh, Shelly. <again. laughs> hey, did you know that my two flagship programs, the Little School of Big Change and the Change Coach Training Program, now have self-study versions? That means you don't have to wait until the next live group starts. You can get instant access to the Little School of Big Change curriculum, or to an extensive set of lessons and coaching sessions in the case of the Change Coach Home Study course and start seeing more right away. The best part, this is awesome, is that you get to go through the self-study versions now or whenever you're ready and then also join the next live guided versions of these courses. So your investment for the self-study course goes toward the price of the live course if you choose to upgrade. It's a total win-win. You can get this content now, do whatever you want with it at your own pace, and also let me guide you and support you and lead you through it when it's time. I'd love to see you try out one of these self-study courses. You can find links to both of them in the show notes. 